This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Endy, the 100% Canadian-made mattress. All of the materials and manufacturing used to make the Endy mattress are sourced within Canada. By keeping manufacturing local, Endy can avoid duties, currency exchanges, and international shipping, keeping prices as fair as possible for their Canadian customers. Even the largest mattress, a California King size, costs less than a thousand bucks. So go to endy.ca and use the promo code Oppo for fifty dollars off any Endy mattress. From Canada Land, this is Oppo. <laughs> Oh, come on. Give it a little more than that. From Canada Land, this is Oppo! <laughs> on this week's show, we remain vigilant as Stephen Harper looks his way onto Ben Shapiro's YouTube channel to promote Stephen Harper. He's still lurking. <laughs> Be vigilant. And then we watch as conservative parties around the country play with populist fire and hope they don't burn their eyelashes off. From the assorted nuts being found in Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party to the sex scandals in Doug Ford's government, it's a hot mess. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Indy. Instead of going to a big box store and awkwardly pretending that you're comfortable underneath glaring fluorescent lights, Endy offers a 100-night trial, so you can test the mattress in the comfort of your own home. If you don't love your mattress, Endy will come and pick it up from you and give you the full refund. No questions asked. With free shipping to every Canadian province in a box the size of a hockey bag, Endy is Canada's best-selling mattress, with the highest rate of customer satisfaction and lowest rate of returns. Endy also gives customers the opportunity to touch, feel, and try the mattress Canadians are falling in love with in select showroom partner locations across the country. When mattresses are returned, which is rare, Andy works with local charities and furniture banks to donate the new and gently used mattresses to Canadians in need. So what are you waiting for? Treat yourself to a great night's sleep and an even better morning. Go to andy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Andy mattress. So this past week, Jen, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper and noted book peddler Stephen Harper sat down with Ben Shapiro who I feel like I should know. Like, I'm looking at his face and, like, I know him, but I don't know why. Like, he honestly looks like every single campus conservative I've ever seen in my life. So who is Ben Shapiro again? Can you remind me? I Googled this and it didn't help. Well, Justin, my oblivious dear friend, come sit right down. Ben Shapiro is, yes, a campus conservative who used to work for Breitbart and wrote a book called Brainwashed, How Universities Indoctrinate America's Youth. I'll wait till the movie comes out. He also tends... (laughs) It's going to be amazing. It's going to be stellar. (laughs) He also destroys liberal snowflakes quite a lot on YouTube. Seriously, though, he's probably one of the best known conservative commentators on the net right now. What is with these fucking tiny Tories and their like little YouTube channels? Like it's just a, it's a cottage industry now of just like conservatives sitting in chairs like yammering away with former Canadian prime ministers, I guess. Yeah, well, because while you lefties have been sitting around giving each other the jazz hands, an is emerging that a sex ca- thing. It is okay. an emerging cast of conservative centrists and allegedly leftists are gaining enormous popularity with YouTube channels and podcasts. And I'm going to break it to you, Justin. They're a hell of a lot more popular than us. Yeah, I mean, fair. Uh, <laughs> so is this the ideological dark web I keep hearing about? Like, is that what this is supposed to be? Like this YouTube conglomerate? Pretty much, yes. And Ben Shapiro <laughs> got the ungettable get this week, a sit-down interview with former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And it was interesting. I would agree that if you get kind of far-right nationalism that's essentially ethnic or racial in character, it could become a different kind of beast. But 
frankly, conservatives don't advocate that kind of nationalism. I tend to think, as I and I think this would be a surprising conclusion, as a guy who ran a government that was pro-market, pro-trade, pro-globalization, pro-immigration, I've said if you actually look at the complaints of these populist movements and you look at the facts, the facts actually tend to bear out that they have legitimate grievances. So, Justin, mm -hmm. uh, as someone who wants to destroy liberal democracy, I have to ask yeah. you, is left-wing mm -hmm. populism more dangerous than right-wing populism? No. Why not? <laughs> End of show. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand this question. I'm flabbergasted that Stephen Harper is now deciding to try to make a, a secondary career, like a victory lap. Like, I mean, Stephen Harper has just basically written a book, which I'm sure is legible, um, and and done the the interview circuit, uh, wandering around, basically suggesting that Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders are going to be as detrimental to the to the world order as Donald Trump and Viktor Orban in Hungary, and it's fucking ridiculous. Who actually believes this shit aside from Ben Shapiro? I mean, like, is the suggestion that Bernie Sanders is going to give everyone too much health care until they like? I don't understand the premise of this. You know, Viktor Orban and, and Donald Trump have have supported virulent anti-Semitism, racism, uh, nativism, xenophobia. You name it, and Jeremy Corbyn wants to raise the rich people's taxes, like, fuck off. What is the point of this? They're all part of the neo-Marxist postmodern conspiracy to destroy liberal democracy, Justin. Where is this newfound obsession with Marxism he has? Where is this coming from? It's hot. Neo-Marxism is the new hotness. Look, I mean, to take this a little bit more seriously, I listen to some of these dark web type podcasts quite a lot. And for the most part, I quite enjoy them, to be honest with you. They're, 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 I disagree with them a lot of the time, but they're providing something into the culture that I'm not sure we're getting a lot of other places, which is worthwhile to me. But there's one thing where I think these guys have an enormous blind spot, and that is they see the fundamental nihilism of the extreme, extreme left and the way that the extreme left seems to have abandoned liberal values and, and doesn't seem to want to defend liberal democracy. And I'll, I'll talk about a very extreme left here, but they seem totally oblivious to what's happening in their own houses. Like if you're worried about the extreme left wanting to destroy liberal democracy, as Harper seems to be, then surely you you can't be oblivious to the fact that there is an, an ascendant and emerging far-right populism that also wants to destroy liberal democracy, and unlike the left, is actually the ascendant movement, both in North America and uh, many parts of Europe. I mean, this is the part that I don't get. These guys care about fascism, they care about liberalism, they care about democracy, and yet the call is coming, the call of fascism is coming, and it's coming from inside the house. It's coming from inside their own house. And like, this is what I don't really get. Like, like if you're committed to these values, you should be committed to opposing fascism no matter where you see it. And not just say, oh, hey, Nigel Farage and Victor Orban, they're just wake-up calls, man. That's just innocent. But Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn, that's where the real threat lies in the long run. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a really baffling problem to me. What I don't understand is that, you know, I hear these right-wing types talk about how the left has abandoned liberal values. Which leftists? Like yeah, genuinely, yeah. which major leftist figure that exists anywhere in you know the the major economies is seriously suggesting a departure from you know basic liberal values of uh, you know equality and free markets and all that? Like who? Like which which of them? And here's where we get into like the, the the fundamental critique of sort of where the Jordan Peterson types are are coming from is that they're treating the left as it's this like unbending monolithic ideological force as opposed to, you know, what they see from the worst of Twitter. You know what I mean? But even the worst of Twitter doesn't sound like, like, I, I genuinely don't see yeah, no, the worst of Twitter anyone on the left seriously sound like that. challenging the liberal order like 
Victor Orban is. Like, there is no equivalency. It's such a false equivalency. This falls on what we were talking about uh, last week, about, about the yeah. false equivalency between the far right and the far left. I think to treat these threats as equal and morally equivalent is fundamentally wrong. You know, one side is ascendant and growing in power and recruiting and radicalizing people at an extraordinary rate and descending into violence at an extraordinary rate. And the other side is like, at their absolute worst, they're punching sun photographers, okay? Yeah, exactly. Maybe one day the far left will be as scary as the far right is right now. That's possible. I, I long for that day. <laughs> I don't. I long for the day for the left to get its shit together enough to be a serious challenge to any kind of order. It would be funny to watch, I guess, except I think I'd be the first to be shot in the back of the head. So, like... <laughs> the, the left could barely order its weed online, let alone challenge the liberal order. Hey, blame the Doug Ford government for that. That's... You can't blame the left for that one. And I'm really I'm really fascinated by Stephen Harper's positioning here. And I want you to explain to me what, what he's thinking here, but I also just want people to really wrap their heads around what his, you know, his tap dance routine currently is. He's basically saying, okay, the far left is a threat, sure. But also the conservative right, you know, the broad center right to moderately right wing needs to figure out a way to address the grievances of the actual angry right wing masses, the uh, xenophobes and the racists, but also while not actually being populist. So it's, I, I don't, I don't understand. Okay. I can provide some insight into all this. So here's, there's a couple of strategic reasons why Harper's going on a Ben Shapiro interview. And like, I would just also point out that like every Canadian journalist is bashing their head repeatedly against a table because people in Canada, media in Canada have been trying to get this sit down interview with uh, Stephen Harper for, I mean, a decade, more than a decade. He's notoriously hateful of Canadian media and doesn't talk to us. I mean, I think he did one interview with what CBC recently. Well, no, I mean, he goes on BNN, Bloomberg occasionally. Like, he doesn't hate yeah. all Canadian media. He doesn't hate all Canadian media, but but he very notoriously avoids the vast majority of it. So there's a couple of strategic things that he's doing by going on Ben Shapiro's show. Firstly, Ben Shapiro is not going to do an accountability interview with Harper. Ben Shapiro is not going to like come down on Harper like the wrath of God for some of his actual choices in government, right? That's not what Ben Shapiro is there for, and that's not what interests Ben. So he's, he's avoiding an accountability interview by sort of circumventing Canadian media. Secondly, I have to point this out. Most Canadian media actually has very little understanding of conservatism or the conservative movement. So as a result, you wind up with these weird sort of interviews that are at cross purposes because there's no common language between the interviewer and the interviewee. And I think that's also informing why Harper is going to Shapiro. Thirdly, Shapiro is an emerging and potent voice in the conservative right. And Canadians listen to him as well as Americans, as well as conservatives around the world. So if Harper is trying to tap this kind of populist vein, Shapiro is the most obvious choice for this. Like Wendy Mesley is not going to be your avenue for that. And I think lastly, sort of to your broader and most more important question, it goes to the question of why conservatives in this country are trying to tap the populist movement. And for that, I have to go back in time a little bit and explain or, or reiterate an interview I recently had with Preston Manning, who Harper actually lists as one of his, his biggest influences here. And Preston Manning and I just sat down a couple of weeks ago to talk about um, a lot of different things, but conservatism in Alberta. And he started to explain to me that like Alberta in particular has created more populist movements than just about any other jurisdiction in North America. And conservatives from Alberta have this sort of intuitive understanding of how to channel populism, or at least that's Manning's kind of theory that he, he sort of describes it to um, trying to tap a rogue well. You know, if you have a well that for whatever reason has been backed up, what you have to do to tap a rogue well, and this is his metaphor, is you have to drill a relief well. You have to drill like a relief well into in order to access the oil in the rogue well at just the right angle so that you can sort of siphon off this building tension and channel it into 
a mainstream conservative movement, but you can't drill it so deep that the whole thing winds up exploding in a giant xenophobic racist mess. And you can't drill it so shallowly that you're not, you're not actually addressing the real concerns and grievances of the people for whom the populist movement is, is appealing or attractive. What Harper is trying to lead here, what he is trying to create, and I think to a large degree, a lot of provincial conservatives are, trying to, are following suit here, is they're recognizing that there is an extraordinary amount of anger that is not finding a channel through mainstream conservative politics, and they're essentially trying to drill the relief well. They're trying to find a way to take that anger and that grievance and push it into something constructive and positive with out letting the the worst elements of human nature, the racism and the xenophobia, take it over and allow the whole thing to just blow up liberal democracy. It's so too cute by half. It's just like, no, 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 we'll go in and we'll manage the, the xenophobia and the racism and anti-Semitism in a really constructive way. Like, newsflash, no, you fucking won't. <laughs> like, you're going to get eaten alive. You're going to get eaten alive. Like, Theresa May got eaten alive by trying to siphon off the Brexit frustration. You're going to get eaten alive. Just like Ted Cruz and the Republican Party tried to manage Donald Trump, you will not win because they're angrier and louder than you are. And if Stephen Harper thinks he's going to be the knight in shining glory for the modern conservative movement worldwide, like, good fucking luck, bud. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Foodora, the food app designed for every occasion. We all have those days when you get home and the last thing you want to do is cook. That's where Foodora comes in. They know where to find the best food around, no matter what you're craving or the price range, and they will bring it right to your door. You can also use the pickup option so you can waltz into a restaurant, skip the line, grab your food, and go. Foodora has partnered with over 2,500 restaurants across the country, and it is available in nine cities across Canada. Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton, Quebec, Laval, Mississauga, and Burnaby. Download the Fedora app to get started. New customers can use the promo code OPPO10, O-P-P-O-1-0, to get $12 off your first order. That's OPPO10 for $12 off. Thunder round. Thunder round. So, Jen, Usumka, wait, U.S. Usumka? Usumka. NAFTA 2. NAFTA 2 is maybe in trouble again because about 40 Republican lawmakers have written a letter to Donald Trump expressing their severe reservations over the fact that the trade agreement specifically uh, enshrines non-discrimination clauses for LGBTQ people. That sucks. Yeah, who would have thought that trying to like sneak in some social justice warrior language into your trade agreement would backfire with Republicans? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds of this. I mean, you know, I'm very happy that we managed to sneak in language trying to require American businesses not to fire people for being gay or transgender. This was predictable. I'm actually, but I'm also kind of into having this fight now because we've just forced, you know, the U.S. administration to sort of grapple with this issue where it's before now they've been trying to sweep it under the rug and eliminate, uh, you know, anti-discrimination policies and have kind of no one pay attention. And now we're setting up a fight between Trump and Trudeau on on gay and trans rights. And I think Trudeau is probably going to win. So actually, I'm I'm weirdly happy this fight is happening. So, uh, Justin, last week, Calgary held a plebiscite and voted against hosting the Olympics. Good. <laughs> yes, fuck, I'm just... Fuck the Olympics. Yes, I'm generally really, really heartened. And, and I think that this was actually a very good outcome. The whole Olympics process was a bit of a shambolic mess. However, what I thought was interesting about the Olympics was the way that, for lack of a better term, the sort of economic and political elites kind of started to coalesce around a pro-Olympics vote and just engage in some of the most manipulative, emotional, 
horrible marketing tactics in order to cover over the fact that the whole thing was massively underfunded and almost certainly would have gone over budget in order to create very little of any lasting legacy for Calgary. So it, it was fascinating to me to watch sort of the no side of this get increasingly angry with the yes side. And the whole thing kind of had a bit of a, a Brexit light vibe about it when the actual vote happened. I actually did an interview with Ward 8 Councillor Evan Woolley, who was the chair of the um, Calgary Olympic Bid Committee. And we talked a little bit about how this Olympics bid started and how he started as a sort of an idealistic pro-Olympics booster and then eventually came around to voting against continuing with the plebiscite and what turned his mind about all of this. So for those of you who are really interested in the Olympics, intergovernmental relations, woohoo, and or just Brexit light sentiment, check out that full interview at CanadaLandShow.com. The, the whole thing has really reinforced my two core uh, political principles, uh, one being fuck the Olympics, and two being eat the rich. Depends on what sauce you use. So Jugmeet Singh now lives in Burnaby, British Columbia, where he will eventually run for a by-election if the prime minister decides to ever call it. No, never. It'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we we finally have an answer to our question, where the fuck is the NDP? They're in Burnaby. There you go. We should just fly out there. Perfect. Congrats, Jugmeet. Uh, I mailed you a housewarming candle. So it's not been a great few weeks for the conservatives in Canada. In case you've been living in blissful unawareness, let's recap kind of what awful things have happened to various conservative parties over the last few weeks. I mean, off the top, Tony Clement resigned after sending his dick around and getting blackmailed by it for it. <laughs> He did not get blackmailed by his dick, of course. He was blackmailed because he sent his dick to some women. On behalf of all heterosexual women in the country, I think that this is a really important opportunity to offer this public service announcement. Men, don't. Don't send pictures of your dicks. Nobody wants to see your dicks. Okay? Cool. Well, I mean, unless, unless someone says, show me a picture of your dick. If someone is asking you for a picture of your dick... That's fine. Totally cool. <laughs> Although, let me point out that if you're a parliamentarian and sitting on the National Security Committee, you might want to think twice about doing that. Like, maybe really know the girl first. But for the rest of you, your genitals are not... I like dicks, okay? I'm, I'm on the team. But on the whole, your genitals are not very attractive. And that's not really what you want to be starting out with in a relationship of any kind with a heterosexual female. And I feel confident speaking on behalf of all heterosexual females when I say that. <laughs> Counterpoint, all male members of the National Security Oversight Committee should have to proactively post their dick pics. This would prevent every single problem we mm -hmm. were talking about. Mm -hmm. That's Done. Right. No problem. That's right. So problem solved. There you go. That one's a freebie. Problem um, solved. So on top of Tony Clement's dick, I mean, apart from... <laughs> Apart from Tony to Clement's that. dick, oh. uh, apart from Tony Clement's dick, Ontario Minister for Trade Jim Wilson resigned after doing something bad uh, that we haven't totally learned about. And on the same day, top Ford staffer Andrew Kimber also resigned for some mysterious reason. So that's that's two senior figures from the Ford government in one day. And then around the same week, a Facebook page for a local conservative uh, electoral association in B.C. suggested that uh, Defense Minister Harjit Singh Sajjan was only in cabinet because of affirmative action, which is kind of racist. Uh, and then there's whatever the fuck is happening with uh, Jason Kenney's party, which sounds like a mess, Jen. Tell me about that. Oh, man, they're they're struggling. So over the last couple of weeks, there have just been this slow, steady drip of controversies and scandals about 
extremists and their party. And now most of these stories, if you actually dig away at them, I mean, they're not that big a deal. I mean, we're talking about, hey, a, a racist extremist became a party member. I mean, the sort of stuff that you can't really control if you're a party, right? I mean, anybody can spend five bucks and become a member. Yeah. Um, however, as the weeks have rolled on, it started to create this really dark narrative about far-right, extreme, racist figures being attracted to UCP events, UCP candidates, UCP members. Uh, I think one even worked on Kenny's leadership campaign, that sort of stuff. Right. The guy, the guy behind the Rhodesia clothing company ran a call center for Kenny during his leadership race. Exactly. And this is all kind of culminated with a very extreme comment that was offered by a man named John Carpe, who is the head of something called the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And to explain why this is legitimate, I need to spend a minute or two talking about John Carpe. I've met him a bunch of times. You can't really work in conservative of politics in, in Alberta without meeting the guy. He's a very nice guy. He's a bit of a gadfly. He's the sort of guy who um, will frequently run court challenges to uh, support pro-life groups that want to show bloody pictures of fetuses on campuses, for example. Oh, he's, thanks, John. Yeah, he's he's the type of guy who, uh, you know, he uh, launched a bid, for example, to bring private health care insurance to Alberta following on the Kahuli stuff that happened in Quebec. So it's like, he's that guy. And, and he's really well known in conservative circles. He's actually really well liked. He's a nice person. And oh, what's not to like? What's not to like? And that until, you know, about recently, he appeared in a uh, at a rebel convention where he compared the pride flag to a swastika. This guy's checking off all my boxes. Oh, he's your favorite. You'd be best friends. <laughs> anyway. I reject the notion that gays would ever support something as tacky and poorly designed as the swastika. That's fair. Also for the various other reasons as well. That's fair. Uh, so Jason Kenney, to his credit, put out a tweet and he gave a very detailed response of why that was wrong. And, and he didn't just say like, oh, we condemn this. I mean, he actually explained, no, the pride flag is not associated with totalitarian regimes. And considering all of the work that LGBTQ people have done in order to you know, fight for their own personal individual freedoms and liberties, it's a really very offensive comparison. And it was wrong. What he hasn't done is kick John Carpe out of the party. He's kind of deferred that and said, well, the board decides who gets to be members of the party, even though not like a week before he basically said, I'm kicking that other extremist out of the party. And I think this has to do with the fact that John Carpe isn't some nobody. He's actually kind of well-known in conservative circles. You know, he's not somebody who it's so easy to throw overboard. But obviously this, this brings us back to the fundamental concern and problem that conservatives across the country are facing. And that is... If you're going to tap the populist vein, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get some extremists getting attracted to you. And I honestly, I'm not here for Kenny's whole like, oh my God, homophobia in my party? Like, fuck you, buddy. Yeah. Jason Kenny built a big part of his kind of entry into Alberta politics on uh, making sure that schools can ban gay straight uh, assemblies or alliances in the school. And he really hitched his wagon to that. So fuck you, Jason Kenny, if you want to come in and pretend like you're better than this. You opened that door. Well, and not only that, but then he sort of tried to put it under the rubric of parental rights and parental choices. And yeah. you, you parents have a right to know if your children are going to join these gay sex clubs in school. You know, like it, it was all like that. So I think I think that Jason Kenny's made his bed on this one and this is 100%. where he's at. And, and I don't have an enormous amount of sympathy for where the party's at. I think that they have not used every tool in their rhetorical toolbox to counter uh, the extremist sort of winky nudginess 
that seems to be going on here. And and I think that, you know, it's time for Kenny to really come out and make some very declarative, strong statements opposing the sort of people who seem to be attracted to his party. But this is exactly what I was talking about in our earlier segment. You know, the Stephen Harper branded uh, solution to populism, which is basically a kind of put your toe in the water, get a little bit dirty into populism, is exactly the fucking problem. If you, you know, Jason Kenney obviously did his horrible electoral math and thought, well, if I just make myself a little homophobic, I'll win all those super homophobic votes. Like, no, because at the end of the day, like, do you have any fucking principles or not? Are you okay with some level of homophobia and transphobia and whatnot, or do you not? And, and here's another prime fucking example. At the Ontario Progressive Conservative Convention uh, just last weekend in Toronto, it, the membership voted, uh, and, and there's, there was some confusion about this originally. It, the original reporting was the membership voted to basically define gender as relating to your biological bits, basically uh, excluding the idea of transgenderism altogether. They didn't actually vote to do that. They voted to add it to their policy agenda for the next convention. Even still, it's sort of an, an endorsement of the idea that it's a worthwhile debate when it's obviously fucking not. It seems like it was done by a small number of activists who basically hijacked the agenda and, and made sure that you know the broader membership didn't know and didn't come in to vote on it. So it is important to note that this is probably not the will of the whole PC party. But even still, the fact that... Uh, the party has not subsequently come out and said, no, no, never mind, fuck that, we're not doing it, like, is, again, a fucking problem. Either you're okay with transphobia or you're not. And Doug Ford's PC party seems okay with it. Okay, wait, 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 whoa, 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 Okay, so firstly, debating gender theory doesn't necessarily mean that you're transphobic or that you're against transgender people or that you don't think transgender people exist. That's not the same thing. We in civil society and academia can have a conversation about gender theory That's and, and gender identity, and that's that. I think that that's perfectly legitimate and okay. Where I kind of start to go, okay, but why in the hell are, are they even desiring to have that debate at a party level? Like, what value add is there for you as a PC party to have that conversation or, or debate? It's just a dog whistle for being against transgender people and being against sort of the emerging transgender ideology that's surrounding it. That's where you kind of cross the line for me. I don't see any value add in having the PC party or any party debate gender theory. I mean, that, like that's a conversation that probably belongs in academia and in civil society. That would be my position on this one. Oh, but also let's not pretend like this is like, uh, you know, oh, and I don't think you are, but you know, this is not a well-intentioned, honest conversation of like, when is the right age to bring up the idea of, of sure. gender? And, and, and it, there's a reasonable conversation to be had there yeah, yeah. amongst people who do recognize you know, the, the rights and existence of trans people. This yeah. is not that. This was a campaign led by Tanya Granick Allen, the far-right social conservative who has been given, you know, pretty much free reign to run about introducing these motions in the PC party because Doug Ford has basically refused to condemn her being a homophobic, transphobic garbage pile, honestly. I mean, th again, this is the bed the party made for itself. It's not as though the party is otherwise a lovely, happy, socially progressive organization. They have carved out spaces for these people to go and launch crusades like this, and now this is the result. And there's a real possibility the party's going to spend the next month debating this, and the fact that it's even up for debate is fucking stupid. The fact that one of the first things the party did in government was to repeal the sex ed curriculum, which did talk about gender, which is basically the result of, of what this policy would suggest, should tell you everything you need to know about Doug Ford's PC party, which is that they don't give a fuck about transgender people. Like, that is the reality. Yeah, I mean, I'm reluctant to get quite that simplistic on any of these issues. I don't think that there should be any topic that we can't 
debate. I mean, that strikes me as kind of, I, I, I mean, we've, we, we've had that conversation. We can have an honest debate about this. It's not even a debate. It's discussion. There's a place for honest discussion. There's no place to debate the existence of trans people, just like there was no place. There was really no honest place to debate whether or not schools should be uh, desegregated. There was no honest conversation to be had, debate to be had about whether or not gay people should teach in schools. Those were false debates that were set up by social conservatives who were opposing social change. That's correct, Justin, but now you're not being entirely honest in the debating because nobody's debating the existence of trans people. We all know that trans people exist. Like, that's just, that is a fact of, of life. There's no... Tanya Granagallon does not believe that trans people exist. Well, is that what she's saying with this gender resolution specifically? I don't think that, like, the PC party should be debating this issue because I just don't think it should be within the interests or boundaries of a partisan political position. Gender identity theory shouldn't be a partisan issue, period. That's what I would say. That's fair. That's fair. It's definitely not at a party level. But again, you know, I think this is the commonality between whether they're talking about Jason Kenney or Doug Ford or Andrew Scheer. They seem to have just been willing to open the door just enough for these people to come out and sort of parade around. And now they're trying to kind of lightly tap them like a very pleasant game of whack-a-mole. And honestly, I think there's only bad things to come from this. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the risk of their strategy. And I, I actually agree with that totally. <laughs> Well, that's it for Oppo. We are back in two weeks. Let us know what you think by getting in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast. Comments has the follow-up to an unbelievable story of attempted extortion in a small Canadian community next week. If you haven't listened to part one, you have to go listen to it right now. Right now, I mean, wait for this episode to fully end, but then go listen to it immediately. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Canada Land Media. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, music by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week, and that word is lurking, like Stephen Harper's lurking, and that's why I'm going to play you out on my favorite clip from the entire interview that you kind of have to just listen to fully appreciate. The big question right now. So I remember during the 2016 election, there were a lot of arguments about this because President Trump talked about populism. He wasn't super clear about what he meant by that. And so this created a serious rift between sort of the conservative side of the Republican Party and the populist side. I want to talk about that and whether that is America specific or whether you think that that is breaking out in other places too. First, we have to talk about that face of yours. I mean, come on. The saggy jawline, ladies and gentlemen. It's that jawline, the double chin that gives your age away. Well, not anymore. Introducing the brand new Genucel jawline treatment with dual peptide. And-